This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. One potential cause of picky eating is about control. And it's about feeling like they are, you know, they're growing, they want to have control. And the only control that they really have truly is whether they swallow something or not. Hey, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. And this is Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding families because kids need to eat a lot. And so frequently too, man. Welcome back to our picky eating series. We started last week with just Stacy and I chatting about picky eating, and we hope that you've listened already. But before we dive into our awesome interview with Melissa D. Arabian, Stacy, what is up with you this week? How's back to school? You're deep in September. Tell us everything. Kicking my butt. That's how it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think it was while I was on vacation, I saw on Instagram that you sent Ella to school on the first day without a lunch. Yep. I did yep. that. So <laughs> I sent my sixth grader to school without any school supplies. Oh, no. Was day. he pissed about that? Uh, yeah, he was. He was like, before school, he's like, are you sure? Like, how can I be going to school with an empty backpack? I was like, dude, there was no email. I'm sure it's fine. You know, we were all jet lagged. We were all exhausted. I'm like, it's all good. There was nothing. There was no message. There was no sheet. You're fine. He's like, but my backpack's completely empty. There's not even a pen. I was like, they've got pens at school. <laughs> <laughs> came home and he was like, there was a sheet. There was an email. I was like, what? That's crazy. Anyway, we rectified the situation. It all worked out. With a late night run to Walgreens or something? Yep, pretty oh. much. But hashtag mom fail. So next year, please remind me, Megan and audience, a little bit more space between international travel and first day of school. Yeah, that seems yeah. like good advice for yeah. everyone. <laughs> A little bit more awakeness might do me good. Yeah, um, right. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm trying to think of like what's going on with us. We're in this weird, I don't know. We're always in a weird season, right? My husband is traveling a bunch this last part of September, both for pleasure and for work. And so that's kind of an interesting thing to be like a solo parent for a little bit. I'm always I, fun. I kind of enjoy it. I feel like we have our own separate routine when my uh -oh. husband is gone. Uh-oh, you know what this means? Because I kind of enjoy it too. Sometimes it means we're control freaks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's totally, like, absolutely 100%. <laughs> we're like, we get to do it our way now. I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> I also feel like there's a little less pressure for me about dinner time when my husband's not around, which is mm, a really mm -hmm. interesting thing that you and I have talked about before. But it's kind of like, I think my, my husband grew up in a very like traditional meat and three kind of family. So he like expects that around dinner time, even though we don't always eat like that. And when it's me and the kids, we do a lot of like 
snacky dinners or just like vegetable heavy dinners that maybe I wouldn't serve with my husband around. Falafel is one thing like he's not that in he's not that into that, but we'll have it a lot while we're here. And actually, I have a falafel recipe on the kitchen that I'll share in the show notes. So yeah, we're just like I'm in a season of solo parenting. Nice fun. You know what I eat when I'm alone with the kids? I'll feed them. And then after they go to bed, I eat cereal for dinner. <laughs> it's oh, like my favorite thing. <laughs> and actually, we have a sponsor that I'm actually super excited about. Yes, we do. We actually, do. We are both and it's super totally excited unrelated. about Yes, it's <laughs> totally unrelated. I completely forgot about it, I swear. But it's true that I, you guys will hear all about our sponsor, Mom's Best, coming up. But I love eating cereal for dinner. It's like my biggest treat. So I like, but I just like put the, I give them a really well-balanced dinner. I put them to bed. You know, I'll eat some veggies with them. And then I'm like, ah, big bowl of cereal for mama. It's like my favorite treat. I feel like there's an internet meme about this and we should find it and share it on our Instagram where it's like cereal is so dependable. It never lets you down. Cereal for breakfast, dry cereal for a snack on the go. I love the idea of like eating cereal after the kids have gone to bed, but I often eat it as like dessert. And especially when I was pregnant with my son, the like crispy chocolate crispy rice cereal yes. was like my go-to dessert instead of a cocktail. I would eat that. Yes. Totally. Yeah. And mom's best has a really good there. I think it's called crispy cocoa rice. Yeah. And, the, and it's then the so milk. crispy and the milk is so good. Yeah, it gets all like chocolatey and then yes. you chocolate milk at the end. It's the best. Yes. Anyway, okay, solo parenting. Solo parenting. But let's... And let's talk about what we're digging this week. I know. This segment we do every week. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Sorry, so every right? week we have one new kitchen thing, food thing that we're loving. It can be a product, a trick, a technique, anything that's making life easier or more delicious. So... What's up this week, Megan? I am digging a matcha. Ooh. My internet friend. I call her my internet friend. <laughs> internet friend. That sounds so early 90s. <laughs> right? But it's true. We still live in that world. My friend Michelle. My who's internet like, is friend. A, is a friend of a friend who I have met one time in real life right before she moved to California from Atlanta. And now we live in Boise from Atlanta. Um, so we really just like follow each other on social media we've never we've only connected that one time for like 10 minutes in real life but she is a graphic designer by day and her husband is also she's obsessed with matcha and they decided to start their own matcha company and it's called oh cool ritual cosmic matcha and she i ordered some like full disclosure i ordered some of their ceremonial grade because that's what i tend to drink when i drink matcha and she also sent me some of their habitual matcha which is like the ceremonial is like light and bright and the habitual is more like deeper earthy matcha flavors. Mm-hmm. And I am now obsessed with making a matcha latte in the afternoon instead Ooh. of like having a cup of coffee or like a sugary sweet to kind of like get me through that three three thirty bump. And I want to say if you've never tried matcha before, it's sort of similar to coffee in the way that you have to find a way to drink it that works for you that you like like I don't love matcha just brewed straight up in the very traditional way but I do enjoy like a lightly sweetened latte version of it where there's some milk and maybe like a date to sweeten it or date syrup do you you puree the date yeah so this is what I've learned from Michelle from Ritual Cosmic is like a little bit of warm water and you can either use like an alternative milk or cashews and the warm water on the to make like a nut milk on the fly and then just one date and I blend those up with the matcha and it makes like this super frothy yeah you do need a high power blender to do it like a Vitamix I've tried to do it in my little smoothie blender and it doesn't work as well but also sometimes I use date syrup if I'm just going to use my little smoothie blender I love date syrup. Yeah, it's kind of underrated, right? So matcha is definitely still caffeinated. So you do have to be careful about drinking it in the afternoon if you're if you're caffeine sensitive. But it's also like a less jittery caffeine high, in my opinion. I feel like it's mellower and there's a ton of benefits to drinking matcha as well that are similar to coffee, like the antioxidants and vitamins that are in it. 
So we'll link to Ritual Cosmic in our um, show notes because it's the packaging's beautiful, obviously, because they're graphic designers, it's going to be. Oh, nice. Um, but it's also really lovely. And I do prefer the ceremonial over the habitual if you're looking to order some matcha. The ceremonial is the lighter one. The lighter one. A little bit sweeter. But How so- do they compare price-wise? Because I know ceremonial Yeah, fancier. ceremonial is like fancier. Yeah, and it's like a small tin of it is is like $30. And then the ba- the habitual comes in like a big bag and it's the same price. Got it. But, you know, it's like, but I, and I should add, like when I'm making a matcha latte, I'm using like not even a teaspoon of the matcha. So that little jar is going to last me for a long time. Awesome. It sounds delicious. I'm super caffeine sensitive, so I'm not sure that it's right for me in the afternoon. Yeah. But while I was traveling through Turkey, we weren't having super strong coffee in the morning. And so I've ever since being back, and it's been a little while now, I actually haven't, I've been trying not to drink too much coffee. And I've been trying to reduce my intake in the morning and like not you know, just reduce my caffeine in general. So maybe matcha is something I can incorporate in my morning routine. Yeah, I would think so. I think that's what Michelle does. And we've had a lot of like back and forth conversations because she's struggled with some like anxiety and she found that like cutting coffee out completely and using the matcha as her like morning drink has real that partnered with some like meditation um, and some other supplements has helped like ease her anxiety. And I, I have some like generalized anxiety. And so I I do also have to be careful about caffeine. And I find the matcha is a different kind of like caffeine buzz. But Cece, tell, awesome. us, tell us about what you're digging. Okay. This I'm going to be really quick because I admit that my, what I'm digging this week is super impractical unless you <laughs> live in Manhattan or Brooklyn. So <laughs> it's white mustache yogurt or moustache. Moustache. <laughs> Mustache. I mustache um, you a question. Uh, yes, exactly. I'm sorry. Um, it's a wonderful company based in Red Hook, Brooklyn, that makes handmade, literally everything handmade, hand scooped into the jars, Persian style and now Greek style yogurt, and it is the creamiest, the most delicious yogurt you'll ever try if you ask me wait what is persian style i think we're all familiar with greek yogurt okay much thicker but so i'm gonna tell you the truth that i actually am not sure of the technical differences between the two okay they started making persian style yogurt i believe they started with persian and not greek and just the other day i noticed that they had greek yogurt so i bought a jar of greek and persian so that i could compare the two yeah and I couldn't tell the difference. They're both strained. <laughs> they're both they're both thick. They're both creamy. They were very, very similar to me. I didn't look yet at the nutritional content. I was curious if the protein was different. The Greek yogurt that they make is so different from the big company Greek yogurts. which can be a little bit chalkier and much, much thicker. I mean, theirs is so, it's like silk. I mean, I can't even tell you how like deliciously smooth and luscious it is. So maybe Persian yogurt is always like that, and that would be the difference. But when it comes to theirs, they're very, very similar. So I've been actually meaning to do some research, and perhaps by the time we get the show notes up, I can actually write a little something up for people. I love that. Um, I won't belabor it now because we also have a great interview coming up. Yes. But anyway, this yogurt is great. Vogue wrote about it, even though they're a national and worldwide publication. It's that delicious. Uh, If you live in New York City, please grab a glass jar of this stuff. It's so good. It's pricey because it's handmade. I tend to not just eat it for breakfast because it's too expensive. (laughs) Although I will grab a couple of jars for dessert, but it's great for cooking. And, you know, I'm still kind of pining for Turkish food. So when I want to make something with a Greek sauce or tzatziki or something like that, that's when I'll use it. So 
you know, if you live in an area with like Persians or Greeks, you know, go. I encourage you to go and you won't find white mustaches if you don't live in New York City. But like go look for little independent brands or a local brand or maybe an imported brand of Greek or Persian style yogurt. Because I know there are a lot of, you know, Chobani can be great and, you know, Faye is great too. But, you know, it's... There are other brands out there and you want to look for something that's really creamy and silky. That is exactly what I was going to say is that every city has like some sort of market. I don't want to use the word ethnic market. I don't like that. But there's markets where you can find other brands outside of like the big, Mm -hmm. the big brands. And like a lot of cities do have local dairies that are making yogurt that's like very special to where you live and are crazy delicious. Totally. And I actually have a secret for you. Okay. If you if there's a local yogurt that you love that's really creamy and delicious and great and you love the texture of it but you want to make it a little bit thicker like Greek style, all you have to do if you're a parent or a person who cooks or is willing to put a little bit of time into it, all you have to do is take a cheesecloth, double it up, dump the yogurt, the regular style yogurt into the cheesecloth and hang it over a bowl and let the whey drip into it. And what you're left with the next morning or three hours later is just, it's Greek style. That doesn't increase the protein the same way, but it makes your yogurt thicker and it will feel it have the mouthfeel of silky, creamy Greek yogurt. Because you've just drained a lot of the liquid out. So, you know, if you feel like Greek yogurt, the commercial stuff is a little bit too chalky for you. And you like, I don't know, I'm thinking like brown cow or, I, you know, something from your local farmer, let's say. Yes. You know, that's something that you can do. So um, little I will say a couple hours makes it like Greek yogurt. And if you do it overnight, depending on how much whey is in the yogurt, it can be more like a creamy cheese, which is yes. also a great little tip. And do not throw out that whey that drains off because there's like tons of nutrition in there. Put that shit in a smoothie. People <laughs> love that. Or there's like whey lemonade now people make. Yes. People go nuts for that stuff. Yes. Liquid yes. gold. Liquid gold. Before we dive into our interview with Melissa the Arabian, a quick break for our sponsors. When back to school hits, the conversation immediately turns to school lunch and dinners. But busy parents know that mornings can be just as hectic, if not more. We tend not to talk about breakfast, though, because so many kids skip their first meal of the day or reach for grab-and-go convenience meals. The catch? Most of them are packed with ingredients that undermine their focus and performance. That's why we love our newest sponsor, Mom's Best Cereal. Mom's Best makes great-tasting, kid-favorite cereals with nothing but honest-to-goodness ingredients. Fun cereals like their naturally flavored, gluten-free crispy cocoa rice, whole grain honey grams, and classic sweetened wheatfuls are free of artificial flavors, preservatives, and high fructose corn syrup. Plus, their products are budget-friendly and easy to find at major grocery stores and natural food stores nationwide, so that every parent can choose a quality cereal that tastes great and is affordable. To learn more about Mom's Best, go to momsbestcereals.com and visit didn'tijustfeedyou.com to enter to win our Mom's Best back-to-school giveaway. Celebrity chef, television host, best-selling author, speaker, writer, and mom of four, Melissa D. Arabian, is an expert on affordable and healthy family home cooking. Melissa developed a strategic step-by-step program to combat common picky eater issues, which she shares in the acclaimed foodnetwork.com series, The Picky Eaters Project. She lives just outside of San Diego with her husband and her four daughters who double as mom's official taste testers. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me. We are so happy to have you and to talk today about picky eating. Before we dive into our questions for you, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with your four girls, raising them and how they have eaten as little kids and now as they're older, getting into middle school and high school, if I'm correct. Yeah, I've all four in middle school now, which blows my mind. But um, yeah. It blows my um, mind too. I have one in middle school, so I cannot imagine four in middle school. <laughs> yes. Although I have to say four in middle school um, may be easier than four in diapers, which I've also <laughs> survived. So I think I'm in, I'm in good shape. Yeah. So I actually... 
got into the world of picky eating um, because I had picky eaters. And I thought if I have picky eaters, I mean, I, you know, I made my own baby food. I, you know, I did all the things, right? Yep. I included my kids in, um, you know, my I have pictures of my older kids when they were two and one, helping me make the baby food for um, their twin sisters. Oh. So like I've, you know, included them in, like I've done all the quote unquote right things. And so I suspected that the story about picky eating was bigger than just, oh, well, if you give your kids chicken nuggets, of course, they're going to be picky. And there was this conversation happening about picky eating that I felt it, that made me feel guilty, to yes, be honest. Yes. I, kinda, I wanted to say, listen, I'm, I'm not feeding my kids chicken nuggets, you know, every meal. I mean, sure. Does every mom, you know, on, on a, you know, crazy busy Thursday night have some chicken nuggets in the freezer to feed their kids. Yes. Sure. Yes. But because I felt like, oh, I have fed my kids chicken nuggets on occasion, I no longer have a valid complaint if my kids are picky. Totally. And I, um, so I suspect that there was more to the story, especially since some of my kids were picky, but not all of them. And in fact, the ones that were pickiest were the ones that I had done all the right things the most. So that's what kind of got me into it um, was saying, hmm, I feel like there's more to this story than just, you know, take your three-year-old out for sushi. And that's what got me into it. And my research, and I call it research, it's just, you know, me really looking at what's out there, reading books about it and trying things out with my kids, um, really confirmed what I suspected, which is that picky eating has a whole host of causes. And only some of them are related to what the food tastes like. And only some of them are related to let's call kind of phoning it in as a parent. Um, so I wanted to remove that guilt component from the conversation and talk about where we are and really what can we do. And it's the, the fix is not as easy as oh you know give me this spinach recipe that my kids will love because people would you know interview me for that. Oh well, how can we get our kids to eat spinach? And here's my you know whatever. It's not about a magical recipe. So that's sort of the good news and the bad news is it's not just about the food. In fact, a lot of it is not about the food itself. Some of it is, um, but there are a whole host of, of reasons um, that the kids are picky. And I sort of needed to address kind of all of them because um, there were a number of them at play with my kids. So, um, so that's what got me into it. And then I went to Food Network and said, hey, listen, I'm going to do this trial program for my family. Do you want to come in and record it? And that, that was the genesis of the Picky Eaters Project. So funny because a million years ago, I wrote an article and pitched it to Babbel.com when I worked for them years ago saying, recipes aren't the answer. <laughs> oh <laughs> really my gosh, really? Simple. Yeah. Because my background is in child development. Mm -hmm, and I was mm -hmm. like, this is, this is a parenting. This is a parenting issue i don't even want to call it an issue but it's a parent like we have to approach this from a parenting point of view but everybody just wants a new recipe you know it's like just give me the recipe that's going to be the magic bullet and and that's not going to solve it you know so i i totally hear you mm -hmm. but then at the same time there's this struggle and megan and i talked about this in our this is a three-part series on picky eating that it's hard to talk about parenting without then trying, you know, piling on that guilt, which is exactly mm -hmm. what we don't want to do. <laughs> it's like, just like you, this podcast is about like trying to remove guilt from the conversation because there's so much guilt around the conversation around food and parenting. So that's why we're so excited to speak to you because we feel like you do that so effectively. Um, and that's why we love your work so much. I'm glad to be in that conversation. And so let's just talk about that for a quick second, because it's interesting when you say like, you know, it's a parenting issue and that you're right. That's sort of fraught with, with strong feelings. And, and we start feeling our defense mechanisms going up like what you're not, I'm not parenting, right? Is that what you're saying? And it is sort of parenting in the sense that, Hey, listen, everything we do, how we interface with our kids is, is parenting. Um, it's a parenting choice, right? But I think it's not a, uh, a parenting bad issue. You know, it's not as though someone is not parenting well if their kids are picky. So, and I'll, I'll take this opportunity, if I may, to kind of tell you a little bit about the thrust of what I found and what we did to sort of make it better. Um, and what I found was that there were a number of issues, a number of root causes to pickiness, and very few of them. I love what you said about it's not about the recipe. 
very few of them were actually about the food itself. Some of them were, but there were a whole host of root causes for picky eating. For instance, just so you can kind of get a sense for what I'm talking about, one potential cause of, of picky eating is about control. And it's about feeling like they are, you know, they're growing, they want to have control. And the only control that they really have truly is whether they swallow something or not. So there can be an assertion of wanting to have control and not in necessarily a bad way. When you're growing up, you're finding your boundaries, you're developing your self-identity and knowing what you can and can't do is something we want our kids to do. So again, not a parenting fail, not a behavioral fail, but it just is what it is. And so we need to understand that that's at play. Another root cause could be that um, kids tend to be super tasters compared to adults. Their, uh, their palates actually experience flavors differently. And some kids actually are super, super tasters and taste bitterness and flavors more strongly. You know, listen, that has its place in evolution so that we don't eat poison in the wild. But what that means is that broccoli to my four-year-old, I don't have a four-year-old anymore, I but do. broccoli to my four-year-old, well, yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. So you're different yes. from how it tastes to you. So we need to acknowledge that. One other root cause is a lack of context or knowledge. The truth of the matter is that fat, salt, and sugar taste good. And all things be, being equal, if I'm honest with you, if brownies were just as healthy as broccoli, I would eat more of them. I mean, I just would. They're yeah, good. Amen. They taste good. <laughs> so our kids who do not have this bigger context of health and what's good for us and the long-term effects of eating brownies, you know, five servings a, you know, a day instead of, you know, their vegetables, they, they, of course, they're choosing brownies. They don't know any better. They don't have um, the context. Oh, one other root cause I'll throw out there is that when um, that kids, there's a lot of change going on for a child. Coming into the world is a big change. Every day they're learning something new in a way that we don't experience that level of change as adults. So now you're throwing in that they also have to try new flavors. It's just too much. They throw up their defense mechanism and say, listen, I don't want any more change. Um, and so there's they don't want to they don't have the emotional resources to to incorporate yet another change and then you throw in that they get tired and if they're tired those emotional resources get depleted more quickly and what do kids do when they're out of emotional resources they don't say hey listen mom i need to go have some me time and take a bubble bath <laughs> and sort of you know recharge yeah. no they throw a fit yes. and then they don't want and then they arch their back and then they're tired and they don't want to eat anything so, so all these root causes are, you know, and, and many more are at play in, in picky eating. So what I did was rather than search the magic bullet recipe, I sort of said, okay, how could I address those root causes? And slowly over time, if I address those, then slowly I felt like my kids will become less picky, not magic bullet overnight. But over a period of weeks and months, they're going to become less picky eaters because I'm going to be filling those root cause buckets in other ways. So for instance, just to give you one example, in order to keep their emotional um, buckets full and making them feel like they can, uh, they can absorb more change, I made sure that they were not tired when they sat at the table. So what that meant was I moved dinner back like even 15 or 20 minutes, like 15 or 20 minutes earlier for a three or a four year old is light years. So, well, actually, that's the, um, that's the bad comparison, right? Because light years is space. <laughs> it's, it's a long time. <laughs> but it is, I'm like, wait, like what? I'm like mixing my metaphors. But it, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. it is. So I tell people, listen, if you just move your dinner back between 15 and 30 minutes every day, you will be amazed at how magically less picky your kids will be over time. They're not going to sit down and, you know, eat roasted goat on the first day. <laughs> but over time, so all of these root causes, I didn't know which were at play with my kids, but I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to approach them all multifaceted and see which stick and which make a difference. And so that's what I did with Picky Eaters Project. It was never about that one's magical spinach recipe. Yeah, that's so smart. And, and even just like 
you know, if they are tired and, you know, one day you just can't have dinner at the right time, you know, that's not the day to introduce (laughs) eggplants, you know, (laughs) or like don't bite them that day. Just let it be. That's exactly right. And I will tell you, I actually did something pretty, um, not bold, but a big change because I was, uh, when my kids first went off to school, like real school, they were at the French American school, which starts at the age of three, like a full academic program. So not childcare, full academic program with like progress reports and report cards. And so my kids did that when they were three. And let me tell you something that you come home from school, like you are like you're exhausted and you're hungry. I switched dinner with their after school snack because they they could not wait until even six o'clock or five o'clock. They'd come from home from school at three. They had full dinner at three o'clock when I brought them home from school um, until they got used to the rhythm. So for like six months, I fed them dinner at three and then they had their after school snack with my husband and me and we sat down at the dinner table. So we still had the dinner table experience, but I swapped where I had their, their main meal because they couldn't make it to five or six. They had to have dinner at three, but that solved the problem. They became less picky. Do you know what I mean? You know, that, that solved that element. Yeah, of that or it's problem, not that, that they cost. became yeah. less picky in that moment. It's like they were more open because they were hungry. It was an, a hunger opportunity, but they weren't so exhausted that they were going to refuse right. everything that you put on their plate. Um, you know, that's it. That was exactly right. And again, to be clear, this is one of a number of different ways that I approach picky. It was a multifaceted approach into what you said earlier. There's not, there's not one magic bullet that's going to fix it all. But so that's, that's sort of the bad news. The good <laughs> news is, right. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're all looking news, for a magic bullet, news. right? Yeah. That's like Oprah said, like if there was one magic bullet, one magic pill that can make, you know, you slim and healthy and wonderful, whatever, but it was really, really expensive. If anybody could afford it, it could be Oprah, right? right? She's like, if anybody could get it, it would be me. So it doesn't exist. So I thought, okay, if, that, <laughs> if Oprah says it doesn't exist, I believe it, um, <laughs> right? Because Oprah does not lie. But same thing here. There, the, so the bad news is there's not one magic bullet. The good news is this. It, it's, it's also not because you gave your kids chicken nugget, yeah. yes. you know, yes. once a week. Do you know what I mean? Now, I, let's be clear. If you give your kids chicken nuggets every single day and pasta every single day, you know, or whatever it is, you know, you're, you're not helping the situation for sure. So that said, uh, you know what, sister, I've, I've, I've been there where I've done stuff as a parent that I'm like, I know it's not the best idea. I just got to get through the day. So even if you are giving your kids chicken nuggets every single day, you know what? We can start there too. And like, listen, we know you love your kids. And listen, I, you know, I was like, oh, I'll never give my kids pacifiers. My kids will never watch TV under the age of three, you know, but then I became a parent and I realized, okay, <laughs> that's, that's not going to, you know, it, 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 things change. Yes. So I'm, I'm in there with you, but even there, we, there's, there's stuff to do and, and ways out of this. Can I ask a question that's tangentially related to that and kind of touches on something that another guest shared with us during our school lunch series, which is that for some parents, cost is a really big issue in introducing new foods to their kids. And, you know, the research that says it takes seven to 11 exposures of a new fruit or vegetable for your kid to like be interested in it and maybe like it. And that can be like a huge hurdle for a low-income family or a single mom on a budget. I grew up eating hamburger helper and tuna noodle casserole once a week each because that fit my mom, my single mom's budget. So, and Melissa, because you do so much great stuff with the $10 dinners and you really think about budgets when it comes to recipes, like what are some ways that parents who are like, they've been doing the chicken nugget thing or the pasta thing for so long, and that really fits in their budget. Like what are some smart ways that parents who want to improve the pickiness of their children can do it and still like make the most of their grocery dollars. Yeah. So you, you bring up kind of two elements of the budget impact there. One is, as you said, it takes, you know, on average, what, 17 times for, or whatever it is, a lot of times for a kid to eat something. And so what I'm hearing there and what I experienced there is then there's waste yes. <laughs> because now I'm creating food that they're not eating and I still then have to eat, I still have to feed them. So then I'm sort of throwing things away and that, that feels really wasteful. 
So, um, and then the other element is, well, how do we not blow our budget and still feed our, our kids healthy foods? Yes. Like that, you know, just, you know, that, yes. those, so there's sort of two yes. elements. There's that, well, the waste and then is healthy food more expensive? So for the waste, um, one thing that I will say is I never suggest introducing lots of new food in one meal. Um, and in fact, introducing smaller portions, like one element of a four element meal is really the way to go. So that way, if they don't like it, it's the try, it's the no thank you bite, and then move on. And it doesn't, um, relatively speaking, it doesn't really change um, the budget profile of the meal. Um, and then then you've got leftovers, right? Yes. So, um, you know, my suggestion is always small portions on the plate, because whatever's on the plate gets thrown away, whatever's in the main serving bowl is leftovers. So then it's leftovers, and then you're fine. So, you know, be smart about not making too much of any new thing, you know, don't make a big roasted goat and have that be, you know, the, the main portion of the meal. If you choose to make roasted goat, and again, I just bring that up because I think it's something that most four-year-olds probably would not like. But if you decide to make roasted goat for some reason and introduce that to your family, make it a small portion and make it the side dish. The Introducing something as the side dish rather than the main dish is the way to go, even if it's something that is normally served as a main dish. You know, if it's roasted goat, it still can be a side dish for the introduction phase until people like it enough that it can become your main dish. So new stuff, make it the side dish. Don't have a lot of it. Put small portions on the plate, just enough for a no thank you bite um, if they want to go that direction. And that way then it's leftovers, not thrown away. So now let's talk about the cost of feeding your kids a wide variety of foods versus, um, you know, walking down the aisle and grabbing the chicken nuggets or grabbing the, um, or grabbing pasta. So a couple of thoughts on that. Yes and no, is it more expensive? Yes, it is more expensive to buy fresh food for the kids and have a variety of vegetables and, you know, and kind of higher quality carbohydrates, you know, quinoa is more expensive than white flour pasta, yes. for instance, let's just put that right there, just to give us an example, right? So yes, that's, that's more expensive. And so there, there may be some reprioritization that needs to happen. Um, in terms of, you know, you're gonna have to think about getting your quinoa in bulk, and don't buy it in the box, because it's about three times the price. So you're gonna have to be a little bit smart about about managing your budget that way that said there's a lot of fresh food that is not expensive and to make that point i'll bring up like the chicken nugget the chicken nugget i promised you on a pound for pound basis a chicken nugget is far more expensive than if you bought the chicken yourself there's there's no world in which processed food is going to be cheaper pound pound versus the fresh version of that same food. Now, without getting too into the weeds on this, the exception to processed food being um, more expensive than fresh food is pretty much anything in this country that uses corn or right. corn syrup <laughs> like because that's subsidized. Soda versus so, juice yes, or soda versus right, fresh, exactly. fresh vegetables. So, yes. but, but so I'm not talking about that dynamic. Uh, clearly, when it, when it comes to feeding our families and feeding our kids, buying anything in that space that involves subsidized corn syrup products to me for me is a hard is a hard pass. Yeah. So I'll just say that right now that for me that is such a hard pass and that's that's kind of outside of the scope of this conversation um, or what I'm what I'm talking about. Um, so I'm not talking about the sodas versus the juices right now because to me neither of those really belong in our in our family's uh, table on a regular basis. But neither here nor there. Let's talk about like the chicken nugget. Let's talk about the potato chip versus potatoes. So there's no world in which you have food processors who are paying for the raw materials for you know X dollars. And they're going to process it and then sell it to you for X minus $1. No, no, no. The processed version, it, that's, that's the way it works. Nobody's touching your food and processing it and then charging you less than what the raw materials cost. So this idea that processed food is cheaper than its fresh raw material counterpart is so a thousand percent a huge myth. So if someone is looking to save money, buying the chicken herself and breading it 
and making up her own chicken nuggets is going to be so much cheaper that she will have no problem paying for quinoa instead of white flour pasta with the difference. On balance, it will be cheaper. It will take a little bit more work. It may take some trial and error where you buy the quinoa that's more expensive. You're like, oh shoot, I didn't realize it was cheaper in bulk or whatever. So there's trial and error involved. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't some, there's not some outlay of money involved with that. But, you know, even if you go look at the pasta aisle, you can have that white flour pasta that, um, you know, look at the back, look at what, look at how much fiber's in that. Look how, look at the, look at the nutrients. And then look at some of the, um, like the garbanzo bean pastas or the lentil pastas, or even just like the whole grain, quote unquote, protein pastas. Look at those nutrients. And now compare dollar per nutrient, not dollar per bite of food that you get into your system, but dollar per nutrient. That extra dollar for a sort of a better box of pasta is money well spent. So, um, you can, you can get really thrifty versions of food that you can feel great about serving your family um, and that won't break the budget. It really won't. And um, on balance, making your own food for the kids is going to um, is going to be so much cheaper. It really will be. Um, but that said, you know, there, there is a little bit of an outlay up front. But, you know, rice and you know, brown rice costs the same as white rice for the most part. It may be a few cents more. But, you know, brown rice and dried beans makes a fantastic full protein that you can always serve your kids for literally pennies a serving. So there's there's no world in which chicken nuggets are really the cheapest way to go long term. That's so smart. What do you think is the hurdle in getting home cooks to understand that? Um because because you walk into a grocery store and you look at a price in front of you, you look at the sticker price and you don't think about the per pound price. Here's the other thing that happens. And listen, it happens to me too, where you're like, I just, I, I know that I should learn how to make my own chicken nuggets or whatever, or chicken fingers or whatever. I make like chicken, like, like a uh, Milanese, like, um, you know, flattened yeah, out the yeah. chicken breast, which kids who like chicken nuggets will adjust their palates and get to like that. The problem is this, we're so swamped that to take on that investment of time up front. Um, and then we've got to get the ingredients for that. And we've got, oh, we've got to make sure we have eggs. We've got, we have to slowly morph our uh, pantries to support this so that it works on a busy Tuesday night. Because what does not work on a busy Tuesday night is stopping by the grocery store and picking up panko whole wheat breadcrumbs and then picking up eggs and then getting chicken and then getting home Starting and then looking scratch. up yeah and well and looking up online how do i do this what's the recipe whatever you know w- when you look also next in the freezer you're like listen i can spend 10 dollars on these ingredients for these chicken fingers that are going to take me an hour to figure out or i can spend you know 487 which has, by the way, enough chicken fingers to feed my family once right. versus the $10, which will feed my family chicken nuggets and fill my freezer. You know, so it's, I get it. It's the investment up front. You, you can't do it at five o'clock on a Tuesday. You got to do it at, you know, um, like whatever in the afternoon or like on a Sunday or whatever. Like you got a little bit invest up front, which is why in the Picky Eaters Project, the first five weeks of the program, I don't even change the food stuff. You don't even have to think about changing your chicken nugget recipe. It's purely stuff that is kind of behavioral and family lifestyle modification that has nothing to do with you learning a new chicken nugget recipe. Um, and I think that's, that's really important because once you start seeing those small victories that don't involve you going out and getting a new chicken nugget recipe, then you're like, oh, okay, okay. Now you've, you've had enough of a victory that you're like, okay, I've got the will to go out and learn how to make chicken nuggets or whatever. When we're dealing with our picky kids, the most important thing I learned in terms of really dealing with the food, like now they have like, you know, like if, you know, a kid just loves like cheese or, you know, or whatever, chicken nuggets or whatever it is, start where the kids are. Um, in other words, denying completely what they love and what makes them feel safe is not helpful. So for instance, let's talk about, let's talk about for a second, like how do we 
wean our kids off chicken nuggets. Again, I'm, I'm just calling it chicken nuggets, but right. um, it could be bite but box just, mac it could be and cheese. It could be frozen it, yes. dinners. It might be whatever it is. Yeah, that's exactly it. Right. So I'm saying chicken nuggets. I mean anything. But the, so there are a few thoughts here. One is let's not vilify the chicken nugget. Right. So there, there are a few things that you can do that you could start doing sort of right away if you wanted to. One is we could, let me, let me, let me start with the biggest strategy that I think is going to be really helpful. And that is learn to make a homemade version of your kid's favorite thing at whatever cost to you. In other words, um, and I don't mean financial cost, but I mean like chicken nuggets. If your kids like chicken nuggets, then do not make them the healthy, you know, whole wheat baked chicken nugget that um that goes into the oven that like does not taste like a chicken nugget like that's <laughs> not going to be helpful you know go ahead and get some nice you know nice white bread fluffy crumbs you know make up that chicken bat you know put not, you know plenty of salt in it fry it up in a pan with oil like make it taste as good as possible because you want them to fall in love with your version yes. i don't it doesn't here. matter what's in that version Make your version so good that they love your version. Why? Because once you have them, you have them. You can take six months to tweak your version into something you feel better about serving. So just get them into your version and then you're in good shape because then you can tweak it. The other thing I will say is um, you don't have to take away their favorite food that maybe now it slowly becomes a smaller portion. It becomes a side dish. So now maybe they're, you know, instead of six chicken nuggets on the plate with a little bit of, you know, carrots, well, maybe now there's other stuff going on. Maybe there's some whole grain pasta or whatever in a smaller, tinier, cute bowl with two or three chicken nuggets in it. So now they're not, it's not going away, but it's just getting smaller and less important to them. And then the third strategy that I would say you could also start right away to the mom who's in, you know, in, you know, overloaded in chicken nuggets is. Um, to say to your kids, oh, you know what? We had we had that yesterday. We'll have that again tomorrow. Today, let's yes. have this. And just to sort of say, we had it yesterday. We'll have it tomorrow. Today, not. And that right there gives them some days where they're not having it. And that helps also break that cycle. Yeah, I think we don't respect our kids enough. Yes. <laughs> and the fact it's that true. they have it's taste, so they yes. have mm -hmm. a say. And also, let's be real. I mean, it's like what you were saying in the beginning, fat, salt, sugar, this stuff tastes good. What yeah. they like, we like. You know, I mean, chicken nuggets, we keep talking about it. Like you said, it could be anything. You know, it's like a beautiful Milanese with a big pile of arugula and fresh yeah. shaved Parmesan, right? Like, that's a classic Italian dish. You know, you go to Rome and you can get the most beautiful version. And, you know, the biggest foodies and chefs will like swoon over it. So, you know, you can slowly move them to that. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's and that's a beautiful thing with this beautiful fresh greens on top. So, you know, same with pasta and butter, cheese. Like these are all versions, really simple versions of foods that we as adults love too, that you can move them towards. You know, I think that in a lot of ways, what they like is still legitimate food. <laughs> and yeah, like you is. said, hook them. And over time, we can make it a little more sophisticated, a little bit healthier, or like give it its right portion, give it its right place in their diet. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point, which is they, they're liking their versions of sort of real food, if you will. So one other strategy that people can do um, kind of right away is make those chicken nuggets, make their food part of the family dinner table. So in other words, let's stop this notion of, well, you get chicken nuggets and pasta and mommy and daddy are going to have, you know, X, Y, Z, one meal for everybody. And so what that means is chicken nuggets are on the table as part of the meal. Now, maybe they're just a side dish now, but you know what? They're a side dish for you too, because then what that, what that does is that invites our kids into not having their own separate food identity, but sharing a food identity as a family. So if you've got chicken nuggets and quinoa and salad and all these things up there. Now they may have three chicken nuggets and you may just take one and chop it up and put it on your salad. But now it's no longer this kind of 
you have a kid identity, oh, I have an adult identity. Let's all participate and share one meal because if you eat their chicken nugget, even a half of one or on your whatever, or if it's just on the table, it invites them to eat your quinoa. And it acknowledges them and that what they like uh -huh. is good yes. and important and is as just as real as the quinoa or the salad too. For sure. And their opinions count. We, we don't, we don't want to, you know, I have four daughters. I kept saying to my husband, we have to be careful in this picky eater thing because I don't want to raise girls who, who are told, well, eat the broccoli, even if you don't like it, you know, your opinion doesn't matter. Like that's, that's not my goal here. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a really we want, we're one. raising, we're raising, we're raising human beings here who um, we want them to have opinions and we want them to know that their opinions count and they're allowed to say no and, and say they don't like something. They can't say that about everything. But they that that it that is a valid, um, you know, dissent is valid. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we could record a whole other episode about raising girls and boys and like how diet culture is subversive, even mm -hmm. to when we talk about picky eating and giving our mm -hmm. children opinions about things. So we'll definitely have to bring you back, Melissa, to talk about that. It's a big one. Well, before we sign off, I have to know, Melissa. What kind of eaters are your girls today? <laughs> you know, I will tell you this. When I did the Picky Eaters Project, we literally brought cameras in and we hung them up in our house. And we filmed a whole summer of us eating dinner and everything. So I did not know what direction it would go. In other words, I suspected all this stuff, but um, it was a true experiment that we filmed. And I will tell you, it, it really changed the trajectory of my kids eating. I mean... Uh, honestly, now it did not change the inner souls of my children. <laughs> of course, so you know, little Margot, yeah, yes. still yeah. likes fewer things. She she really is a super taster. Yeah. So because she has a very strong sense of smell. If you have a child who has a strong sense of yes. smell, just a tip: you're probably going to be dealing with someone who's a super taster. But so it didn't it didn't fundamentally change who they are as human beings. But I will tell you this: they are growing into young teenagers or preteens who have a very strong sense of self and a, um, and a, an adventurous spirit when it comes to food and they are willing to try everything. I never need to worry about them going to a friend's houses and not eating a proper meal or not being able to eat where, wherever we go, no matter what the circumstances, which is, I, I kind of had that fear when I was um, younger, I thought, oh, when they were younger, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, ugh, do I need to feed them before we go? Because there's not gonna be anything they like, you know, like all yeah, of that sort yeah. of stress, all of that went away. It really did. Now, again, do, do they love every single? No, they don't. But I will tell you this, we have two vegetables on our dinner table every single night. And everybody eats a vegetable every single night without complaint, without whatever. And there are a couple of things that everyone's allowed to have a few things that they don't eat. And they're they're, you know, they don't like, and that's fine. It is amazing how they've grown into honoring their bodies, yeah. reading labels, like even like they, they couldn't believe how many, as my daughter said, how many sausages have sugar in them. Like yeah. even Italian sausage, not even breakfast sausage. I'm not talking about maple flavored, whatever. I'm talking about just Italian sausage. And my, as my daughter said to me, like, really, this is ridiculous. If I'm going to have sugar, it's because I'm eating Nutella, yeah. not breakfast sausage, <laughs> not you know? And far. I was like, I'm like, amen, sister, yeah. you know? But I say all this because there's so much hope. I promise you there's so much hope because three of my four kids are not wired to healthy eating. One of mine is, but, um, and by the way, she was the one I fed on Gerber. I just want to say. So <laughs> that's <laughs> my, hilarious. My Gerber baby grew up to be completely like she's like the healthiest eater I know. And but that's, I love that you're sharing hope. that too. Because <laughs> my little one also was extremely picky when he was young. He's still only, he's about to be nine. But I like how you talk about kind of the quote unquote results. And they're still obviously very much a work in progress. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're like, the idea here isn't to change them at their core. It's just to make sure that they develop a healthy relationship with food and awareness, a healthy relationship with their body. You know, Oliver is still not the most adventurous eater, but he thinks of himself as an adventurous eater. And mm. we can travel, we can go to restaurants, and he can go to friends' houses, and I know he'll find something, and it'll be pretty healthy, and he makes fairly smart choices considering his age. And like, 
that's good enough for me. You know, like, that's great. Like, we don't have battles at the dinner table. And that's what I wanted. You know, I'm not that he is who he is. And he has his own opinions about food. And, you know, I think kind of managing people's expectations that this isn't about getting every single child in the on the planet to love kale and quinoa. (laughs) Right. And and there are a lot, lot, there's a lot of um, wiggle room in there. It's not just, you know, kale and quinoa. If I may, I'm just going to give you a couple like takeaway things. What can I do tonight? And, And I will tell you the one thing that I think if I had to pinpoint the one takeaway from Picky Eaters Project that changed our lives in terms of food and willingness to eat. And you're going to be like, this is crazy. Drum roll sound I, I, I will tell you what, because it's so simple and it's something everybody can do like today. And, and it's so easy. I bought a dinner bell on Amazon, like <laughs> literally a dinner bell because my grandma used to have it. Uh, my grandma was German and she would like ring the bell and be like, Essen, Essen. And we'd all come to dinner. So I bought a dinner bell and like my, everybody loves it. And it's great because the kids are all up in their rooms or whatever. And so I, you know, I ring it and that way they can hear it because just yelling dinner is not, that doesn't feed my soul. So ringing the bell, like everybody like, here's the bell. They know that it's time for dinner. They put away what they're doing. They go wash their hands. They come to the dinner table. And I'm telling you the bell, like we are the dog of Pavlov. We do prepare ourselves to eat. And so a dinner bell was just, and it's always with like, you know, oh, great. It's all positive. Keeping the dinner table a positive, wonderful refuge. All, you know, we never sit down and say, listen, girls, we need to have a talk about that. No, that's not dinner table conversation. We keep positive, pleasant conversation around the table. We talk about each other's days. We support, we love on each other. So the dinner table, once that bell comes on, Everybody switches from homework mode into family mode. And that one thing has really changed the way my family eats. I love that so much. Also, I literally yesterday hung a dinner bell in our kitchen. <gasps> That's so crazy. Yeah, I'm like, this is so great. And I, you know, I, Stacey's boys are a little bit older. Obviously, your girls are in middle school. But I am right now in the tren- trenches with an almost four-year-old and a six-and-a-half-year-old and trying to reshape dinner. So I love to hear that I'm on the right track with the dinner bell. I love and that. And making dinner joyful. Yes, um, yes. And we'll share links to all of the Picky Eater Project videos in our show notes on didn'tijustfeedyou.com. We'll link to Melissa's books, which are great resources. And you have a new book coming out next year. Yeah, next summer I do. And it's it's actually a book on the intersection of food and faith and the role of food in our culture versus the role of food as I think, I, I believe it's intended to be. So it's, um, yeah, that'll be out next that. summer. Yeah. So that's a whole, a whole thing, a whole project, but yeah, I'm very excited about it. I've been working on it for a couple of years. Congratulations. Yeah. Can't wait for that. We'd love to have you back when it comes out. Will do. Will do. You guys are awesome. Thank Thank you so much for having this conversation. Thank you, Melissa. This is great. Thank you so much for making time for us. I love chatting with Melissa. She is a person who I haven't always followed, but I loved following along the Picky Eaters Project. And I feel like she had such great insight today. It's so smart. And I love that someone with her high profile like took on this issue because it's such a huge conversation for parents. Yes. And I feel like even though Melissa is a like celebrity chef and a TV host, she's very much in the trenches like we are. And she has really good real life advice for parents. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are all these like books like what chefs feed their kids and it's like lamb chops. <laughs> You're like, oh my God. No. Come on. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like it just, you know, she's so real. That's what I she's love and appreciate. Real. Before we wrap up this week, we want to share a super quick practical takeaway that we call try this at home because the truth is we can talk and talk or let our guests talk and talk about kids and parenting. <laughs> Before we wrap up, every week, one of us shares a super quick practical takeaway that we call Try This at Home. And Stacey, you have a Try This at Home for us this week that you picked up while you were on vacation in August in Turkey. I did. And actually, I feel like this kind of goes with Melissa's ethos a little bit. 
All right. So I'm going to try to explain this quickly and easily, but I really felt like this was a smart approach. I was talking to a lot of home cooks in Turkey, and they were talking about reducing waste, saving money, and also saving time, but still making sure that you cook every single night. I mean, they were pretty amazed that American families don't cook every single night. <laughs> They're like, but I don't understand. And I mean, these are these are home cooks where both parents work. Yes. Fully. Like, you know, Turkey is actually going through a financial recession right now. Yes. So families are really, really hurting for money. And both parents are working to make ends meet. You know, these aren't wealthy families where, you know, one parent gets to stay home. So one of the techniques that they do, they were saying, is that they do a lot of farmer's market cooking mm -hmm. where they, you know, at the beginning of the weekend, they go and they buy a whole bunch of vegetables and maybe, you know, they go to the butcher and buy some meat and then they'll cook a bunch of stuff. So a bunch of stewed, you know, green beans, some rice pilaf with, you know, chickpeas, usually from dried beans greens, stewed greens, you know, maybe some like shredded chicken or something like that, or like chicken kebabs, like out of ground chicken meat. And then, you know, you just cook a bunch of stuff and you put a bunch of it out on the table, sliced tomatoes, some feta cheese, what have you. And people kind of pick family style. And then the leftovers get wrapped up. And then the next day you kind of combine the leftovers. So if there's some beef leftovers and some string beans leftovers, you kind of put them together the next day and that becomes a stew for the next day's meal. And maybe you cook a little extra rice. That's Monday. You know, if that if yeah. the first thing I described was Sunday's meal, now the beef and string bean stew with rice becomes Monday's meal. Now for Monday's meal, you have a little leftover rice, and from Sunday, you have those greens leftover. Now you combine those, and maybe you cook a little eggplant, right? That's right. Tuesday's meal, etc. So you're constantly just kind of building. You cook a whole bunch of stuff on the weekend, and you're constantly just combining leftovers and maybe just adding a little something every day. So during the week, you're only cooking a little bit to add to the leftovers because maybe there isn't quite enough. And I thought that this was a really interesting approach and a really interesting way of, again, reducing waste and saving money. So I actually tried it this week and it worked really, really nicely. Like I made an eggplant stew, you know, and some green beans. And that was one night. And I like combined it with beef another night, the beef and string beans. And then another night I made like some ground meat and I added that to the eggplant stew. And I put some feta on top, et cetera. And I just kind of kept combining things. It was a little clunky because I'm not used to it, but it really worked. And the one thing that I was worried about was that my family might get sick of the flavor profiles. And did they? Well, no. And you know what I realized is that my, at least my boys, they like, when they like something, they're happy to eat it over and over again. I'm the <laughs> one who's always like, no, let's try something new. Like, no, let's try something new. You know, like if they like a restaurant, they want to go to it over and over again. If I make a dish they like, they want it. They want me to make it over and over again. So they were fine. I mean, there was one dish that they didn't like. They didn't like the eggplant because they're just not that into eggplant. But other than that, they were fine. But the eggplant, there was just a little bit left. And I threw it into something else, a sauce for pasta, and it kind of melted away. And then they, they ate it because it wasn't the flavor they didn't like. It was the fact that it was eggplant. So once the eggplant kind of melted into the sauce, they didn't know the, you know, none the wiser. They ate it just fine. I love that. Okay. I love, this is like a very layered technique that you're talking about. Yes. And I'm going to ask you to try to put it into a one sentence or two sentence takeaway for people to actually try at home. It sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Yeah, the technique to try is meal plan around building on leftovers. Yeah, I think that that's right. It's like one big Sunday night meal, a one big family style Sunday night meal that you're sure will yield leftovers. Okay. And then layering on that. Okay. Planning on just cooking something small every night thereafter. 
that is compatible that you can kind of layer on. So I love this tip and I'm actually going to try it this week when I meal plan this idea of like doing big batch recipes and building so you don't have to cook as often through the week. And I think he promised that I will report back in next week's episode, which is the third and final part of our eating series where we will have our foodie friends, Amy of Yummy Toddler Food and Debbie who wrote Parents Need to Eat Too. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And now that you listen to us, we want to listen to you. What do you want us to cover? Do you have any questions for us? Email us at hello at didn't I just feed you.com. You can also visit us at the site to find us in all those other fabulous places like Instagram and our Facebook page. But most importantly, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please tell your friends about Didn't I Just Feed You. Leave us a review on iTunes. It really, really makes a difference for us newbies. And make sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You right now. Do it, do it, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) A big thank you to our subscribers and to all of our new listeners. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jamendo. A big thanks to our editor, Jeremy, and his team at Aesthetic Productions. This is Megan. And this is Stacy. Stay sane, if possible, and (laughs) well-fed. Until next week, people. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.